care, but America is dying. I don't see no love nowhere. You say you love this country and the freedoms that we share, but America is dying. I don't see no love nowhere. They say America is dying. They say America is dead. But there's a lot of people lying, and there's a lot left unsaid. But we got people in the streets freezing while they sleep with no shoes on their feet, and we got people in the sheets cheating on their wives and they're speaking with deceit. Let's go, and we got crooked politicians, crooked as a question mark, destroying our traditions. Yep, and we got people Tuesday, November third, twenty twenty, the day the United States of America has been waiting for, the day that the vote will determine. Who will be the next president of the United States, and one of the most powerful people in the world? Cuomo has announced new travel restrictions for New York. How can mandates, which are merely suggestions and not a law, become a law? How can Cuomo force people to do things in the state of New York on just merely a suggestion? Who is going? To enforce these mandates, the defunded police department. How are we as a nation, or are we now, a nation of snitches, to where our neighbors are snitching on one another? Andrew Cuomo is inviting neighbors to snitch one another out. So let's empty the prisons of violent criminals. Allow them to roam the streets of our cities and towns. You know, to commit more rapes and murders and burglaries. Then we can fill their empty cells with law-abiding citizens. That's the theme of the Democrats and the left, and it's already happening now in a neighborhood near you. You know, I'm not frightened by ghosts and goblins, UFOs, or the paranormal, as I am frightened by the possibility that our great nation could vote our economy towards socialism, our police forces further down to funding. Our neighborhoods toward even more rioting and looting, supported by the elected officials. Our gasoline prices toward doubling again, and our policies toward the Middle East would be moving back in favor of Iran instead of Israel, and our policies toward China will change, or to favor the big globalist corporations instead of American workers and businesses. That, my friends. Is what will happen if Biden steals the election? Now, if voters really think that their taxes are too low and they want to vote for Biden, you know what? Let them voluntarily send in more money to the government, but don't take it out of my my paycheck. Some of us believe that the government needs to get less in our lives, and our families ought to keep more of the money that we went out and worked for. Many of us have already gone out and voted, and how you vote is entirely your business. But the impact of your vote affects my business and my life. It's your local school board, it's your state legislature, your governor, your congressman and senator, and they're all likely on the line as well as the president. And here's what it's going to impact. Let's talk about the schools. Which textbooks do you want your children to study? And whether or not they're taught that America is awful, racist country that breeds poverty, 
Or will they be taught that America is the greatest experiment in freedom in the free market in history, and that it has provided an imperfect but steady climb for women, people of color, and people with disabilities to the highest level of any country in history? One of those curriculum will be taught. So if you've not voted yet, what will make you vote a certain way? Is it the personality of the candidate? Is it what the media says? Or do you actually try to find out what the candidates have done and continue to stand for? Not what they've said that they've done, but what they have actually done. But if you vote for the nice smile, you might be voting for the wolf in sheep's clothing. I'd rather have a sheep in wolf's clothing. Please don't think that your vote is worthless or doesn't matter, because it does matter. If you do not vote, you also lose. And I do not want to hear you complain about how things are going to transpire in the coming years because you did not want to get out and vote. And who controls the Senate matters. If you want to restructure the United States Supreme Court with a great more liberal justices and that can make up laws that usurp the United States Constitution, then go ahead and vote for the Democrats. Go ahead. But remember that it was the liberal Democrats on the courts that took prayer and Bible reading out of the schools. They're the ones that made abortion so easy that they protect the abortion doctors and not the innocent baby. They said that states had to accept same-sex marriage even when the citizens of those states said that they wanted to protect biblical marriage. So, if your elected representative wants to do these things, you elected them. And if you want them to continue doing these things, you just keep right on electing them. But the judicial branch of our government should not be making law by legislating in their black robes. If you have not voted, please do so. Regardless of how the election turns out, God is bigger. God will always be bigger. He's bigger than any election, bigger than any person, any party, any policy. And God is even bigger than the press. Yeah. So I encourage you, pray before you vote. Think about each candidate and do your research on the facts then get out there and vote. Have you seen one positive message or fresh policy proposal at all from any of the Democrats? I haven't. And I've been trying to listen. So far, all I've witnessed is President Trump bashing, higher tax promises, human trafficking escalation, violent criminals being set free long before their sentences have been served 
And we're talking about life sentences without the possibility of parole. And the list goes on. And all of this is coming from the Democrats and the left. All we hear about is Joe Biden is a nice guy. Which, you know, might be true when he's not yelling at people that you're a lying, dog-faced pony soldier. I do not want a president who will be nice to China or Russia. The left claims that they have love and compassion and tolerance on their label. But their ingredients are hatred, frustration, and resentment. That commit. It's no wonder that the American right are tuning them out in droves. The Democrats believe that they have to get rid of the sitting president because by some divine right, they should have the throne. And they're enraged that they're not in power. Do you recognize this America by the way the Democratic left is describing it? A dark, dystopian, racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic wasteland where they, there may be liberty and justice for all someday if you have the money to buy your way through the system as they rewrite the Pledge of Allegiance. And you know what? They actually said that. I was, re- I was reminded of a Sally Fields. She's an actress for those who are not as old-er as I am. But she made a famous Oscar speech when she won an Oscar. And she said, I quote, They hate us. They really hate us. Unquote. Not only is the negativity and lies relentless, but they are incredibly boring and predictable. We all know the lies of Obama the Clintons, Harris, and Biden, along with their disciples. The American people are tired of the slanderous remarks and the promise of raising taxes to over 70%. They're tired of the human trafficking. They're tired of the robbing and pillaging and destroying of our American way of life. Just for your information, since leaving office, Obama has cashed in more than any other ex-president, including a $65 million book deal and a $50 million Netflix deal. And not that you can tell by his very generous donation that he's made to his dear friend Joe Biden's election campaign. And speaking of Biden's campaign... Joe Biden claims that he, quote, will handle things so much better than the current president, unquote, without ever presenting what he would have done differently regarding the coronavirus and ensuring the economic structure. He claims that Trump doesn't listen to the doctors, but in the meantime, 
Dr. Anthony Fauci says, and I quote, the president has listened to what I said. When I made recommendations, he's taken them. He has never countered or <coughs> overridden me, unquote. It is notable that Biden promised to run roughshod over our rights with a federal mandate to force every American to wear masks, including in their own home. The power of the Constitution does not grant the federal government this authority in any capacity. But it seems as if Joe Biden has learned a few tricks from his buddy Obama. People think that if it's a federal mandate, that it is a law when it is not. Has anyone noticed that Biden has ignored the fact that the economy has been recovering? Because that is one of Trump's strongest points. So, you know, that point has to be ignored. Biden also conveniently ignores or maybe in his lack of mental capacity, he's forgotten that he and most other Democrats did not take the pandemic as seriously as Trump did early on. Biden is so full of feigned empathy and he appeals to the emotions of the people. Don't fall for this trap. Not again. This has been a play of the Democrats for decades and you keep voting them in. When are you going to learn that they only care for you when it's election time? After they are reelected, they throw you under the bus. They kick you to the curb. They throw you to the gutter until it's election time again and they tell you what you think you should hear. It further demonstrates that the left's greatest and only strength is talking about what they do not like. You know, Republicans say that you can always tell what the Democrats are doing or about to do because they accuse their opponent of doing what they are guilty of. Yet they've never been so transparent as they are now. Desperate people do desperate things. And the Democrats with the left are desperate. They are not getting desperate. They are desperate. Let's look at this real quickly. A former FBI lawyer under Obama pleads guilty in the first criminal charge from the Durham probe for falsely legal FISA warrants to spy on a Trump campaign aide. Where are our heads, people? The FBI is known to falsify evidence and documents to taint the whole entity. So who do you trust? Who can you trust? Do you trust? And did you notice that Joe Biden does not talk about China or Russia or his and his son's activities in human trafficking? All Biden talks about is climate change, opening the borders to anyone, defunding the police, taking away our rights to bear arms and stealing our firearms, and legalizing pedophiles. What we've gotten from the Biden campaign is, we hate Trump. Trump is the cause of all the bad things in the universe. Maybe there is hope for our country someday. That is, if you let us run it. We have no solutions, but if you put us back in power, we will do everything we can to try to find solutions as long as Trump is not in power. 
And it appears that the Democrats have learned nothing since they've been thrown out of office four years ago. They are long on resentment and short on reflection. I, for one, am not impressed by them. And nor should you be. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate. The introduction music and lyrics is entitled America is Dying, But It's Not Too Late by Dave Bray and Jeremy Harrell. Go over and check out Dave Bray's patriotic music on YouTube. This is the last Sunday prior to the election in two days, and there's much to consider. You will hear tonight about thanks to people like Joe and Hunter Biden, Obama, the Clintons, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, and the elite worldwide. A couple of nights ago, I watched a video from Operation Underground Railroad. The audio and video is so powerful that the audio will be played for you tonight. The video illustrates a conversation with a human trafficked survivor and her friend, and why asking a simple question of, what's your favorite color, may not always provide a simple answer. Deanne Brody Menz performed in the video, and she had these touching words to say in her experience in talking with a trafficked survivor. Quote, I was given the opportunity to hear stories from trafficked survivors in my state of Oklahoma and was inspired by the idea that some of them don't have the privilege of knowing what their favorite color is. I wanted to create a conversation with a survivor where I ignorantly assume that they have a color that they love. In my conversation, I discovered the insensitivity of my question because the colors of my choosing were triggering to them." Unquote. What is your favorite color? Is it the royalty you see in purple? Or the intensity that you find in orange? Or perhaps your favorite color is associated with your happy-go-lucky, I missed traffic this morning and woke up early enough to meet the night sky before it went away because it knows that my favorite color is black. But have you ever met someone that didn't know their favorite color? That was not a pot of gold at the end of their rainbow? That somehow traffic lights trigger them? That a prism of light often blinds them? I met a girl who's never been asked her real name, better yet, her favorite color. So when I asked her what her favorite color was, I assumed that maybe it's blue. She said her mother's favorite color was blue and was the only emotion she could identify her with. You see, her mother left her at a stoplight, left her daughter for a high she couldn't come down from. She was too young to visit Cloud Nine, only to meet Earth's gravitational pull that would often bring her to a cold pavement that would caress the soles of her feet from working overtime. She'd seen many a stoplight. Became a red light special, found warmth in yellow's light, but she says, I'm still seen as a green light. I am only as transitional as traffic's light. So when I asked her what her favorite color was again, I assumed that maybe it's red. She said red.
bread reminds me of the last man I slept with, only to become a slave to his ecstasy. He'd rather get off while forcing me to put in hours at a job I never desired to be hired for. I am tired, longing to be fired. All the while, the weight of the world is pressed up against my back. Pressed up against another leather seat, another tattered bed, another broken promise of freedom that seems to be my most consistent friend. My wrists are as red as the last time I tried to speak up for myself. Voice as mute as my mother saying she would come back for me. Now I equate silence with peace. A bloody lip as a world is her crown in my box of jewels. At least I have one. I've earned my right to my battle wounds. I've acquired a gorilla-like war mentality that's caused a fire in my chest that just won't cease. And I'm not going anywhere. I can't imagine a good life in a traffic life. So I might as well just sit here at the stoplight. So when I asked her what her favorite color was again, I assumed that maybe it's green. She said my body is a means of currency, given dirty dollars for a ride at an amusement park that I can never seem to get off of. I have a merry-go-round of emotions, and my hope is as distant as the last time I wept. I am as far away from home like long-distant lovers long to hear each other's voices again, and my suicidal thoughts cause my heart to race like a kid in a candy store, but my life, my life won't stop. So when I asked her what her favorite color was again, I knew that this time, this time, her favorite color would be yellow. She said, black nights only look like yellow mornings. And I'm hoping that one day that yellow sun will wake me up to my funeral. But that yellow sun wakes me up to my harsh reality that I'm alive again. That I can breathe again. That my heart is still shattered like broken levees long to be anchored. And my joy was found at the bottom of the bluest ocean that took my mother's voice away that said you would come back for me. Life was not as cautious with me. Life would not fight long enough for me to know what it means to be free. I am haunted by worthlessness. That maybe freedom is as blue as my mother's favorite color. That perhaps I am traffic waiting to be hunted down at my next destination. I decided not to assume, but I did ask her this. Why is your life only limited to four colors? Because when I see you, I see quite the opposite. Maybe your mother's favorite color was blue because you would find your purpose at the place of your pain. And each red light wasn't meant to stop your light. It was Christ's reminder that his blood was shed for you. And when I see green, I know you were bought with a price, so you can keep on going. And when I see yellow, I know you can love again. I know you can find joy again. I know you can find peace again. You are not as transitional as traffic's light. You are love's pure light. You are coat of many colors, and you don't have to choose just one. You are hope personified that though you may be knocked down, you will get up. You will get up. You will get up. That there is some beauty rising from your ashes. That there is resurrection instilled in 
your DNA, and perhaps you are God's favorite color, too. So when I asked you what your favorite color was... Wow, isn't that powerful? These people have names. These children have names. These adults have names. They do not have a number. Once they are logged in, the system is missing and or exploited and or trafficked. They become a number without a name. The elite and leftists got their agenda from Karl Marx, a miserable Luciferian who crafted the dark and abusive communist playlist. I'm tired of the defiling of our precious children and grooming them with sick perversions, child rape, and the trafficking that feeds it. And I say, enough. What if I told you that I have a neighbor that could possibly be under investigation for human trafficking? I'm not talking about a neighbor that lives a block away. I'm talking about a neighbor whose property adjoins my property. This neighbor is elite. He is wealthy. He gives monetary um, donations to certain people of authority and claims them as his friends. So when he gets into legal trouble, he's already bought his way out. And what if I told you that such a neighbor has had ties to Hunter Biden? How do you fight a person, you may ask? Document, document, document. And then you document some more. When this person realizes that he is a target of investigation, he comes against you to try to um, legally steal your property. But God has a different plan so far. So let's talk about this. As we do before we engulf ourselves in any mission against human trafficking, we go to the Lord that we believe is the creator of the universe, and we pray to Jesus the Christ to intercede for us. Whether you believe in the power of prayer or in Jesus, makes no difference to me in this circumstance. This is what we do, and we know that God hears our prayers. I will make a very long story short, and if you want to know the story, you can say so in the comments, and maybe I'll air the story someday. On October 23rd, 2020, we were served <clears throat> legal papers against us for utilizing our own property. The neighbor claims that we are trespassing on his property because we were constructing a legal easement and he has us landlocked, which is illegal in the state of Kentucky. Yet, as stated previously, he has several officials in his back pocket and he's asking the court to grant him a quiet title to our property, thinking that the investigation against him will stop if we are not allowed to be on our legally owned property. In the last two and a half years, this man has pulled some illegal, crazy stuff against us. And he doesn't have very many friends in the community. 
other than a certain few who are not aware of this man's evil deeds. At least not yet. And we have two legal surveys indicating that this man has lied to the court. This man claims that his property surrounds our property, therefore we are landlocked and we are trespassing on his property. This man is not liked by many people in the community, and we are encouraged to counterfile against him to teach this man a valuable lesson. But think about this. In the Bible, in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 19, verses 14 through 19, it talks about how the Assyrian army has surrounded King Hezekiah and Judea. The kings of the Assyrian army sent a letter to King Hezekiah telling him to surrender or they would come into the city and kill everyone including him. The people in the city wanted Hezekiah to give everything to the Assyrians including surrendering. Instead King Hezekiah took the letter to a quiet place spread it out before the Lord. So imagine the scene the Assyrian army, the most powerful military force on earth, is ravaging the countryside just a few miles away. They're threatening weaker cities into submission and destroying the rest, carting away their riches and levying a burdensome annual tax that bleeds the nation even more. Hundreds of thousands of enemy soldiers are within two or three days' march of where Hezekiah is. Think about this. You are Hezekiah, the king of Judah, caught in the middle of all of this. Your capital is the fortress, city of Jerusalem, high on the mountain chain that bisects Palestine. Stress is your daily companion. One report follows another of a city breached and burned another cowed into submission. None is able to stand before the Assyrian army. Your people quake in fear, many calling you names and demanding that you submit to the Assyrians. Resistance is hopeless, they cry. You're going to get us all killed. You are a believer in Yahweh, the true God, and he will save us, you tell the people. Times couldn't be more desperate, more bleak, more filled with violence. What do you say to God? Judah was a relatively small country caught between the nutcracker of Assyria, which is the present-day Iraq, and the Egyptians, who encouraged rebellion against Assyria because they were the rival. While the dating and order of events of this time period are confusing, here is the gist of what's going on. The Assyrians controlled the countries to the north and west of Judah. Previous Assyrian kings, this is all documented, had attacked the northern kingdom of Samaria. Tigla-Pileser III, now I'm butchering these names, at 745 to 727 B.C., Shalmaneser V, 727 to 722 B.C., and Sargon II, 722 to 705 B.C. 
Samaria finally fell in 722 BC and the northern kingdom ceased to exist. The Assyrian kings also conquered Philistine cities west of Judah and imposed a tribute upon Hezekiah's father. Hezekiah ascended to the throne as king of Judah and began his reign at age 25 in 716 or 715 BC, reigning 29 years until his death in 687. He was one of Judah's only righteous and just kings, bringing about a number of reforms during his reign. He was known as one who trusted in the Lord. He held fast and followed God, with the result that the Lord was with him and gave him victory. And some of his religious reforms included calling a national Passover, reopening the temple which had been closed by his father, repairing it, reorganizing its services, priests and Levites. He opposed idol worship, toppling the hilltop high places where Baal worship was conducted. And when Sargon II conquered the Philistine city of Ashdod in 711, Hezekiah avoided war. But when the Assyrian troops departed, Hezekiah began to assert independence, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And he stopped paying tribute and expended Judah's influence by attacking the Philistinian cities. In 701 BC, another Assyrian king, Sennacherib, at 705 to 681 BC, led a massive military force into the area to put down all the rebels. He tried to counteract the Egyptian threats and reasserted Assyria's dominance. Anticipating conflict with Assyria, Hezekiah had taken a lot of steps. He tunneled a shaft through 1,748 feet of solid rock to supply water to the city at the time of the siege. He stopped up all the springs around Jerusalem that could supply water to an Assyrian attacking army. He extended and strengthened the wall of Jerusalem. He increased the production of shields and weapons. He organized combat forces. Now, what does this have to do with us being served papers? Because when Hezekiah received the letters from the king of Assyria. He brings it before the Lord and spreads it out before God to read. And he reads it to God and observes that there's an insult in the letter to the living God far more than an insult to Hezekiah himself. It sounds so much like what is happening to us. We spread our letter or this lawsuit before our Lord. This battle does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. Wouldn't you want to prefer that God fights your battles for you? God intervened and sent the king of Egypt, which is the arch enemy of the Assyrians, against the Assyrians to fight him at the exact time that the Assyrian army was going to go and try to kill Hezekiah. But Kate... I don't believe in what you say. Or, Kate, my faith is not strong enough. You know, that's okay. I don't believe in religion, but I do have a relationship with my God. And I believe, and I ask frequently for God 
to help my own unbelief because sometimes situations and circumstances threaten to consume me and I tend to focus on those situations and circumstances instead of his promises and his love and knowing that the battle does not belong to me and what works for you and your situations may not work for me in my situations and vice versa that doesn't make either of us right or wrong it makes us different in our beliefs the court gave us 20 days to show our defense God has opened the doors and he gave us irrefutable documentation for our defense God gave us witnesses that are willing to come forward and God has increased our faith in him that he will fight this battle we must do our part we're not going to sit on our lazy tukuses and expect God to do everything you know, we still want to draw God a road map and say this is how we want it but God closes the doors that we should not be walking through and he opens the doors that we should be walking through this neighbor is trying to distract us from the investigation of his illegal activities if you notice that there's a lot of distractions everywhere in the United States not just in our personal lives now what this neighbor does not realize is that we've stepped away from any investigation it's out of our hands and we are not involved in that portion and what a lot of people do not realize know or understand is it human trafficking is it over 65 billion dollar industry a year worldwide out of all of the missing people and children worldwide our organization and ones like ours rescues only one percent a year only one percent people Texas properties along the Mexican border is a hub for traffickers the state of Ohio is a hub due to certain highways and crossroads West Virginia is a hub and my little town in Kentucky because of the tri-state area of Ohio Kentucky and West Virginia the truck stops along the highways near Ranch 2.0 is a hub and this has even been acknowledged by the county sheriff in my area this neighbor of mine frequents the tri-state hub areas he has been documented he's all also looking to purchase property along the border in Texas I cannot get into no to what I know about the neighbor and his activities and human trafficking but I can encourage everyone that is listening to this broadcast to learn the signs know your neighbors again what does this have to do with King Hezekiah back in the times before 700 years before Christ because the Bible says God is the same yesterday today and forever and that tells me that if Hezekiah can spread his letter before the Lord and say God this is what is happening and I need you to intervene then I can do the same 
let's listen to the David and Goliath story. Well, let's not listen to it, but almost everyone knows the David and Goliath story. David had the faith to pick up three stones. I can get into the whole story and the, the logistics of it. But the bottom line is, is he trusted God. We can listen to the neighbors and we can listen to everyone who has been hurt by our neighbor. And we can go against him and counterfile. And odds are that we would probably win in a court of law against him and probably get a huge monetary damage. And he would have to pay it. But what is that going to solve? What lesson is he going to learn? Is that going to put him on his knees? Probably not. No, we are not the type of people to lay down and be walked on. But there are other avenues. There are other ways to do things. A lot of times one has to show by example. And it is not easy. We're not perfect. We fail every day. And often. Again, frequently, we ask, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. These circumstances are consuming me. Instead, surround yourself with people who encourage you, who build you up in your faith, who want to walk beside you and not try to lead you, who do not want to walk behind you and make you a leader, but they take your hand and they walk with you. And you guide each other. I promise. It works. I said this on BZ's radio show last Thursday night. I was in his saloon the other night, not physically, but figuratively on the radio. And one of my last statements was to any survivors out there who may be listening, no matter what your scars are or where you have been in any situation, I hope that you are inspired to believe that God has not forgotten you, and nor have I. And that he has created you with a value far beyond the way any other person has treated you. Love is not a dirty word. I am here. And God has placed me here on this earth for such a time as this. I will fight for you, and I will not give up on you. I will not be, nor can I be bought with a price. So how many out there are willing to get out there and vote against human trafficking? Against those who want to take our Second Amendment rights to protect ourselves. How many people are out wanting, willing to get out there and vote against a group of people 
who want to destroy our nation and our way of life, our constitution, the things that I fought for in the military, the things that a lot of us went overseas and fought for. I voted. Do I want Biden as my president? No. Do I respect the office if he seals the election? Of course, I respect the office. I do not respect the man, nor will I support him. Well, this ends the broadcast for me tonight. It was nice having you all join me beside my campfire. But I'm going to allow the fire to die down on this cold 29-degree weather night with the wind blowing up to 40 miles an hour. And I'm going to enjoy the glow from the embers before retiring for the night. You know my motto, train hard and train smart to survive, thrive, and stay alive. This is Kate signing off. Until next time. You say you love this country. You say you really care. But America is dying. I don't see no love nowhere. You say you love this country. And the freedoms that we share. Jeremy Harrell. But America is dying. Let's go.